Trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you're struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode. One of the things that I've always felt was kind of sad about my own case, like your case, for instance, right? Like you're talking about your dad murdering your mom and you playing a very central role in solving that crime, but also being under threat because of that crime. Like there's a very good reason why you became very central to that story. There is not a good reason why I became central to the story that I became the center of. I should have been a footnote in the story of what happened to Meredith. I had two other roommates, and a lot of people don't even know they exist. And that would have been my story. I would have basically been like one of those roommates who just happened to be living in the same space as this young person who was so horrifically, you know, raped and murdered in her own home. Hi, Survivors. I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And welcome to the Survivor Squad podcast. Yes, welcome. So, uh, Tara, we have a really big guest for today's episode. Oh, yeah, we do. I just finished a 12-hour audiobook on her that she wrote herself. And I just, like, could not. It was so intense. The story was incredible because... What she had to go through to get out of her, out of this. It was an ordeal, yeah, right? Yeah, it was, it was an, an ordeal. ordeal. I just watched uh, her documentary. You read a book, but I'd rather watch a documentary. <laughs> well, probably because you made one, right? Yes, because, you know, as someone who made a documentary, of course, and I am very, you know, fascinated. And of course, I'm like really delving into the details and like, the. I'm like, oh my God, the lighting is so good and the shots are so good. And, the, and it was really even though it's a heartbreaking story, I was like, oh, this is really well done. I mean, you know how like pedantic I can be about those details and, uh, and film, I'm a filmmaker, right? So that's what wait, I do. Wait, wait, pedantic? Pedantic. 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 <laughs> wait, tell me about this word. Is that your word so, of the day? So I guess, I guess we have to have a word of the day because you know, I'm like a wonk for my vocabulary. So uh, yeah, pedantic would be the word of the day. And, uh, you know, you, should I just go to Google and just show, just share the definition? Let's just do that. Please do. <laughs> I just really want to know what it is. The definition of pedantic is someone who is very concerned with the details of a subject and tends to overtly show off their knowledge. Yeah, definitely. An example of someone who is pedantic is a person at a party who bores everyone while talking at length about the origin and details of a particular piece of pottery. Well, I don't think you're boring. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that maybe perhaps I could be a little bit overt in... Uh... <laughs> do you talk to people about pottery at parties, though? Is that what you do? No. No? That would never be something that I would discuss. Well, one that time I did... One time in high school, I did the pottery class and stuff. That was fun, an experience. I think when everybody thinks about pottery, they think about ghosts. So ghosts? anyways, yep. Okay. And now our age gap is showing right now in front of everyone. <laughs> There's a movie, Patrick Swayze, Demi Moore. There's a scene. Oh, There's okay. a throwing wheel. 
Okay, I haven't seen that movie. Oh boy, Unchained Melody. I mean, the whole thing, the whole, the the whole, every reference is lost on you, and that and that's okay. That is okay because you know what? We're here to talk about Amanda Knox, who is our guest for today. And you know, one of the things that that I was realizing is, you know, how we got together with this podcast, right? Is you know, you and I were talking about how when you become a public figure in the true crime space, or or even if you don't become a public figure in the true crime space, your story just becomes public. Yeah. Everyone seems to have an opinion on you and who you are and what your story is. I mean, you've experienced this with with your story and the television show Dirty John. Oh yeah, yes. absolutely. Everybody is like, oh, Julia Gardner, like you did this, you did that. I'm like, Wait, no, someone portrayed me on TV. That wasn't me. Yeah, but also they have they think that there's a particular narrative that have led led to the events that occurred, right? And so you have to Oh yeah, like the victim shaming and stuff. Victim shaming, victim blaming. I mean, I know from myself. Look, I put myself out there. I made the film A Murder in Mansfield. I am in it. And, and I know what it's like to to face, you know, scrutiny for that. And you know, look, my father murdered my mother, so I've had to constantly live under that veil of scrutiny since I was 12 years old. So there was an article in the Atlantic last year and it the title was Who Owns Amanda Knox, right? Yeah. She wrote the story for the Atlantic and it says, 14 years ago, I was wrongfully convicted of murdering my roommate ever since the world has believed it can tell me who I really am. That is one of the things that makes us unique with this podcast. We as survivors can really engage with another true crime survivor we can understand her on a different level where, you know, everybody's story's different and we can't say that we fully understand that person, but there's a part of like a squad. It's a squad that really no one wants to be a part of. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because we wish that we had these fairy tale lives that exist, but unfortunately we don't. But it's interesting because I feel like one of the things when you are in this public domain of true crime is that people can sort of tell you who you are. Yeah. Oh, you're like, for example, you. Oh, you're just the, the girl who who killed John Meehan in self-defense. And did you really, did you murder him? Did you do this? There's a lot of scrutiny that's coming on. Why did you get away with that? Weren't you arrested? And you're like, well, because he came at me and tried to take my life. Yeah. Was I supposed to lay down? I mean. Or do I fight back? You know, if I didn't fight back, I wouldn't be here. Exactly. And your family probably would not be here. Yes, so we're making the best of it, and I can't wait to dive into today's story. So uh, let's talk to Amanda Knox. Let's do it. That did not happen to me just by sheer luck. And yeah. similarly, I think about a lot of wrongful conviction cases like here in the U.S., it takes an average of 14 years for people's wrongful convictions to be overturned. I was in prison for four. So I'm yeah. lucky compared to a lot of wrongfully convicted people. So I don't know, like there is this sense of being 
grateful, one, that a worse thing didn't happen. There, it's, that's called negative visualization. It's a, it's a stoicism practice. But the other side of it yep. is like realizing, wow, I have been given a glimpse into the human experience and into the human mind that not many people get to have. It, it's like, yeah. you know how like, do, do either of you have kids? Just curious. Not yet. Furry Not yet. Okay. Furry okay. Ones. So, yeah, so it, so it's like this. So I'm I'm the only one who's a mom of this group here, and you know, this isn't like an advertisement for everyone to have kids. It's not the always the right decision for everyone. So I'm not trying to like put that out there. But what I will say is that something happens when you have a kid. Uh, you know, this is it's a trope that people say, like, there's just there's a thing about the human experience that is really hard to grasp unless you've just done it. And if you've if you've not like had a kid, it's really hard to know the feeling of having a kid. And in the same way that like for yep. a survivor of an incredible, like horrific experience, like it's just really difficult for other people to understand that human experience that is so unique and in a way special. Like, it is a special 100%. and precious human experience that not everyone has access to. And until you've been there, you just don't really know. <laughs> if you know, you know. And it's interesting, it's interesting with the group of us right here. Mm. You have you who were charged with a crime who, were, who weren't there, who had by sheer luck met Rafaela and not been in this situation. And that's what you're grateful for. Mm. For me, I am grateful that when I heard my father's footsteps come down the hall after murdering my mother, when I saw them with my peripheral vision, I didn't turn and look up because I wouldn't be here. Oh my and God. Tara, and Tara on her side was, uh, uh, she, she is the, uh, the, the ultimate, the end game of that, where she was attacked, her life was under threat and as her family's. And by the grace of God or the universe or whatever you want to call it, the tables turned on a man twice her size. Yeah. And she was able oh my to God, defend herself. Chills. Ugh. You know what I mean? So that we have all these stages, which is really, I mean, I'm just realizing it as you're talking, we all have this very similar perspective because it's the survivor perspective. When you're, when you're through something, you will never know until you know that. And that's what makes us all unique is that, and we have all these different phases of it, mm. which is and, astonishing. Yeah. And I feel like we all feel like we're lucky to be here. And that is part of what makes us stronger in our trauma and everything. And what makes us move forward is because we're part of that post-progression mm -hmm. of our trauma. And, you know, having those good neural pathways for our brain, like having that, oh, we're the lucky one, that is actually a thought that helps us move forward and yeah. builds more um, great neural pathways for our brain because mm -hmm. we're living in positivity. Mm-hmm, absolutely. It's you flip it on the, your head, you know, on its head, you flip the trauma on its head. And, and I talk about, you know, you go from why to what now. So for me, mm -hmm. I don't have time to say, why did my father murder my mother? Even though that was always my question, what lead me to make the film, everything, because I still wanted to know why. Of course, I never get that answer. But right. um, 
but it was what now? Like, what can I do right now? Okay, my mom's gone. I know she's been killed, this, that, and the other. You're yeah. like, you're now discovering this. This is, you, you know, you've dealt with this. Tara, in action, again, leading through that. And okay, I'm being attacked. This guy's going to kill me. I need to defend mm -hmm. myself. He's, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a very interesting perspective. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm just lucky to not be Meredith or, you know, your mother. And I'm just so blessed. And so that's part of like my 100%. thoughts about what I went through, you know, and I'm mm -hmm. just so happy you're here, Amanda, because, you know, we all could have been one of those people. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> it's it's, it's <sighs> just chilling to think about. <laughs> and again, this, I think this yeah. is what brings me back to when my fascination was about people that are fascinated with true crime, right? There's this insatiable mm. appetite for it. Is it mm. the Coliseum? They want to see the gore. They mm. want the fantastical. Or is it that they want to learn how to like not do this? I mean, I think, you know, I was just telling tell, Tara and I were talking about it the other day. Like, don't the police in America can lie to you. They are allowed to do that. Don't talk to the police. Get a lawyer. It's just a fact. Mm. They can tell you whatever. Mm -hmm. And again, mm -hmm. you are in a situation where what really struck me is when you said, you know, when you think about a wrongful conviction, somebody's convicted of something, but in your case, somebody was convicted of something and then they just went after you as well and constructed anyway, this new, yeah. which is just a gross abuse of the system, in my opinion. Yeah, a lot of people think that, like, when it comes to things like criminal justice reform, the only people that it benefits is the people who hurt people, right? They're like, oh, criminal justice reform, like, what are we talking about? We're just trying to be nicer to the bad guys. Like, that's a lot of times what people think that means. Of course, because they don't but know. <laughs> what they don't know. And like, one of the things that is absolutely true in any single criminal case is that even the people who are most directly harmed and impacted by it, they are at the mercy of the police. And they are going to be, until they are ruled out, they are going to be targeted. And so there is this, there's this very precious moment when, as a victim, like I was an indirect victim of Rudy Gaudet's crime, I became a victim of the criminal justice system because I did not know. And I absolutely had this wrong idea that the police weren't there to hurt me. They were there to help me. I trusted them implicitly because that's how I was raised. And it was that implicit trust that made me exceptionally vulnerable to their lies and to their manipulation and to the whole situation. And I just want to compliment and well, not compliment, but we'll actually compliment because, you know, it is a response <laughs> and I think it's a great response to have, but you were so, so appeasing great. to them and you were so, you know, trying to cooperate with them. And, you know, that's a great asset to have, but they just really took advantage of that and, yeah. you know, turned things around on you. And I just wanted to say like, for what happened to Meredith, for someone that is so appeasing, that just does not fit the type of person that would do that. And what was it yeah. like to be interrogated and being like expecting that these people were going to help you, but not getting that in the long run? 
Yeah, um, that's a really great question because I think a lot of people think that the worst experience that I've ever had is being wrongly convicted, right? Like hearing that person say guilty, even though I'm innocent and having my entire life rearranged around a lie. Um, that was a very, very horrible experience, but that was not the worst experience for me. Um, the worst experience for me was being in that interrogation room and being made to feel insane by people who were gaslighting me and threatening me and hitting me and lying to me. And um, after coming home one day and finding out that one of my friends had just been raped and murdered. Like, yeah, yeah, the, that the hitting, happened when, when the, within days. They're hitting you in the back of the head <laughs> like, when you're talking about that. I'm just like, I can't believe that. Like, that's just, it's just disgusting. It's. Yeah. So it, and again, they, they looked at it back in the day, like they were just doing what had to get done for them to solve this case. But what they didn't reckon with is that one, they could be wrong. And two, <laughs> that I could be someone who was experiencing trauma and who was incredibly impressionable due to that trauma and who didn't know how to process anything and who didn't have any support whatsoever. My family was not there. My friends were not there. I had there was no professional in that um, in that police station who was there to give us any kind of emotional support that there was nothing. So unless I was being questioned by police, I was on my own. And it was um, it's it's it was one of the most incredibly overwhelming and scary moments of my entire life. Um, to be made to feel like everything I thought was true was not true. And to be told like, you know, you saw what happened to Meredith and you are so traumatized that you can't even remember it. But if you don't remember it right now and sign these statements, you're never gonna see your family again. Like that's what I was being told. And I'm 20 years old trying to explain myself in a foreign language in a police office surrounded by people who are screaming at me like it it was um i to this day i am extremely triggered by the memory of it and um and any sort of like hint of people who are lying to me um gives me a really really panicked feeling because i get brought back to that place of them explicitly lying to me and telling me that everything i know to be true is wrong it's it like the gaslighting is was too much and i think it's something that really is so hard for survivors because a lot of times abuse happens and is made possible by gaslighting and by lying and by putting someone in a position of vulnerability but making them feel like they're crazy for feeling vulnerable or afraid and it may like the the ripple effects from that you never forget that and there's the this effects. constant sort of paranoia that you carry for the rest of your life because you're like can i trust what this person is saying to me um, because also to be a good human being, you have to question yourself, but like, how do you do that safely? How do you do that affirmatively? How do you do that in your real life? And how do you trust people? Um, that's how do you trust yourself after that too? 
that's a huge problem because like for me, I, I signed statements. I signed statements and they were not true. And how can I trust myself after that when I was put through that experience and, and I broke? I, I broke. And I now forever know that I can be broken. So. That's a lot. <laughs> That's. But you also know that you can also carry on and create a life it's for true. yourself. And it doesn't that's break true. you. And I think that that's one of the things when people talk to myself, when they talk to Tara, when they see you, is they go, again, we have this, if you know, you know, right? But with that also comes this thing, thing that I believe that we kind of don't give ourselves enough credit for what we've been through. And that's part of mm. what people, why people gravitate towards us in our you. stories. <laughs> yeah, like they just look at us like we're just some kind of thing. And I'm just like, well, I'm just Collier. You're like, I'm just Amanda. She's like, I'm just Tara. You know, we're just doing what we're doing just to get on with our lives. Yeah. Where other people would just, are just like, I, I would lose it. Like, I loved my mother so much. I, I, I would have been horrified if I could have been killed. Why? I went to prison. I, if somebody attacked me, I don't know how I could even respond if I would be mm -hmm. even able to defend myself. I mean, people look at us and go, That's, that, is, that takes an extraordinary amount of courage. I mean, I'm looking at you and I'm going, I don't know what I would do if I was locked up for in prison for something that I didn't do. I don't know how I would handle and that. And I'm looking at you and I'm like, holy crap. Like, I, like to be orphaned like that. Like, one of the people that, like, one of the ways that I got through my experience was because my parents were super there for me. And to, like, think that, like, the origin of my trauma would be my own parents and being orphaned like that. Like, how do you deal with that as a 20-year-old kid? Yeah. I, you know, one of the things that struck me about that, which I just, it brought a tear to my eye, I'm thinking about it now, it's kind of making me, but Misty, is when your, your father is being interviewed and they say mm. to him, well, you know, if you tell your story now, it's not going to be worth as much as, as much as it would be in, in six months or whatever they're trying to say to your father is just literally look at them like, do you really think that I give fuck uh, about fuck. that? <laughs> about, are, yeah. you, are you out of your, you think this is about money? I just loved it. You could just, it just, he just exuded this like brave face, like, you know, just like you are missing the entire point and I feel sorry for you. Mm. Like my daughter is what well, exactly. is Well, exactly. And again, this is another reason why I'm so lucky. Like, my parents knew what was up. <laughs> like they at no point were ever confused about what was important and what needed to be done. And at no point have I ever felt from my parents any sense of like, you know, one of the things that is true, and a lot of people don't talk about this with survivors is like, okay, how your family and friends who have been indirectly impacted by whatever it is that's happening with you, how they then carry on their trauma and how that affects your relationship. And sometimes things like 
resentment or depression or like lots of things happen. Relationships get shuffled around because of how people are processing the trauma after the fact. And like, again, one of those things where I'm super lucky is like at no point have my parents ever made me feel like I put them through hell, like ever. And like, I know that not a lot, like not everyone who has been through a traumatic situation has that same level of understanding and support from the people in their life. So that's real. I'm like, man, that makes me want to cry um, because I'm just so happy that you've had that support because, you know, I know what it's like to go through family who all went through that trauma. And then we all have different views about things. And yeah, there's been times where my family has been mad at me for speaking out about my story. And it's great to have support. So that makes me happy. And how do you feel like that has transitioned into your family life now? Mm. Um, well, I am extremely happily married and my husband, it, whose name is Christopher Robinson, um, we we do everything together. We um, we work together. We live together. We do all the things together. We have this podcast labyrinths together. Um, and he is the reason, if anything, why I'm speaking to you guys here today, because back when he met me, um, I was in this very in-between space where I didn't feel like the world really cared about what my perspective was. And I was I was internalizing the feeling of being worthless or just being a subject of someone else's story and not feeling like I was even allowed to have authorship. And then he came along and he, first of all, was not like a true crime person, didn't know anything about my case and just got to know me as a person. And only after we had been dating for like nine months, did he like learn about the case and everything that was happening. Um, also, because people started noticing that we were together. And so he was becoming a tabloid feature. And he he was the one who convinced me that I had something to say. And that I should and I should I should say it and I should get my perspective out there and um, and share what I've learned and connect with other people who have been through similar circumstances. So it's really his faith in me that gave me the confidence to feel like I could move forward in a really productive way because uh, I was hiding when I met him. So. Well, I love that so much. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I'm so lucky. Like, it's you ridiculous. Are. You are very lucky. And <laughs> so I love, lucky. I, I love how you look at it that way. That's the thing. Mm. You know, I said something to somebody one time and I said, you know, I am the most fortunate person I know. And they were mm. just kind of like, well, that just sounds like entitled. I don't know what they, they just said it. It sounded sort of entitled or whatever. And I said, I said, no, it's, it's my perspective because I would honestly, I wouldn't change anything about my mm. life. Even though it was mm. so horrific, it's made me the person who I am. And I really, yeah. really like that person. Now, it took me a long time to say that, <laughs> but, mm. it, but it, it definitely, I definitely like the person that I've become. And I like the work mm. that I'm doing. And I like how my experience 
is reaching other people and touching other people's yeah. lives. And I think that you're doing the same thing. I know Tara is doing the same thing. You know, it, and your story just touched me. It, you know, yeah, there's just so much about your story that resonated with me as far as just the media conjecture around it, mm. the tabloid conjecture. Are you guys familiar with Samantha Geimer? No. No. Mm. I would love to connect you with her. She, um, uh, there's an episode of my podcast where I interview her and specifically, um, she, uh, was the 13 year old who was raped by Roman Polanski back in the seventies, who then became this, like the center of this huge media firestorm. And she has a very, very interesting perspective of what it means to be a survivor, first of all, of crime, but also to be used as a pawn. Oh, sure. As a child by all of these like bigger forces that are trying to have a to turn the story into a huge, big, you know, thing about Hollywood and about privilege and about the, 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 the or about children porn. Like what? There's a million things that she became like the center of this like media firestorm. And she and she grew to have her own perspective of the case that sometimes is like pushes people away. People want her to be something so much and and don't really aren't really open to her just being who she is and what she believes. And she's she's a really interesting. I'll send you the episode of my podcast. I think what is it called? Um, well, anyway, it's it's the Samantha Geimer episode. We actually got um, uh, nominated for an award for that episode because but mostly because she's amazing. <laughs> so I can't take credit for that, but I would love to connect you with Samantha Geimer. Cause I think she would be really cool for you guys to talk to. Yeah. That's we would incredible. Love that. I love it. You know, my father's trial was, it was televised live. So I was actually mm. on television testifying against my father. How old for were you? Two days. I was 12 when it went to trial. I was 11 when it happened, when I witnessed it. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's pretty nutty. But, you know, hey, look, we all have our own unique perspective on all of this in mm. all these different phases, like I was saying. And that's what makes us all so unique. And it's such a, I mean, it's such a cool moment to be here mm. with all these different perspectives and be able to share those with the world. We're lucky. We're very lucky. <laughs> so true. Yeah. One of the things that I thought for a long time as I was going through everything I was going through was that I was alone. I did not know anyone else who had been through a similar experience as I was. I like I felt incredibly, incredibly isolated. And one of the best thing that's that has ever happened to me was connecting with other people who are survivors because it's like the one time in my life that I feel like I don't have to just constantly explain myself and like I can connect with people and find resonance and like craft, like create meaning. Like that's one of the big jobs of people who have been through trauma is to create meaning and purpose out of that trauma. And it's a lot easier to do when you have someone else who understands to talk to. So that's one thing I would say to people. Um, and the other thing I would say is... Um, I, I've continued on with my life. I'm doing what I what I feel is really, really great work. So if people want to check it out, um, my podcast is called Labyrinths and you can follow me on social media where you'll see a lot of pictures of my cats. So 
<laughs> and you'll see a lot of pictures of my dog and a lot of pictures hey. of Tara's dog. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> my daughter's a dog person, as it turns out, and I think we're going to have to get a dog. My dad, my my husband's a is a cat person, and he's just like, oh no! But every time she sees a dog, her like she her body quivers with excitement. It's amazing. <laughs> so I've just started my IG live. By the way, if you guys want to say hi. 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 <laughs> uh, by the way, a great dog for cat people is a Pekingese. A Pekingese. I don't know uh -huh. dog breeds. I'm going to look this up. Pekingese. But they're cute and they kind of act like a Persian cat. And they like... Do they really? Okay, because that's good because my cats act like dogs. So I just need a dog that acts, acts like a cat. This is perfect. Or maybe a Maine Coon because a cat Pink? that acts like a dog is... Or wait, no, that's a cat. So, But a Pekingese is a, like, Holy a great little crap. one. This dog is amazing. It is like... Do you know like It from the Adams Family? <laughs> that's what it is. It's, so it's amazing. At least the pictures that I'm seeing, it's straight up it from the, it's Uncle It from the Adams family. It's amazing. I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you don't mind too, I'm going to snap a pic of us before, just for the Patreon, you know? For the patrons, you know? Mm -hmm. For yeah. all the patrons. One, two, three. We have six so far, but we're growing. Hey, congrats. You know? Yeah. And you're going to be our first episode. Oh, exciting. Okay. Well, congratulations. All right, everybody look at I the, wish you everybody the best look of at luck. the at the screen too for me. All right, cool. I did a little screenshot. <laughs> we'll do that too. Well, good luck, you two. <laughs> if you guys ever want to chat about um I've got a lot of interesting people you might be interested in talking to, but Samantha Geimer is definitely top of the list of, love of people who I think she would be really cool. So honestly, we're down to chat anytime you're available. Amanda, thank you so much. Congratulations on your new baby and congratulations on your Pekingese, which thank you'll be you. adopting tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, congratulations and thank you so much. Yeah, thank you both. Take care. That was a great conversation with her. I mean, she had so much insight. I just, uh, for me, I can't even imagine being locked up for something you didn't do after they've convicted the guy who did it. <laughs> yeah, no, that situation is just bonkers, bonkers that she even had to go through. Like, where is people's common sense in this scenario? I think it's a culmination of, as she was saying, I, th I think they're embarrassed. They, they botched the police work. There's botched DNA evidence. It's, it's interesting when you watch the film, how indignant yeah. the investigator was. He still thinks she's, she's guilty. And it's like, there's no DNA. Like, there's, you got, already got the guy that essentially admitted to the murders anyways and said Amanda Knox had nothing to do with this. It literally admitted that to an investigator, as you see in the film. And then yeah. you, I mean, it's, it's staggering to me. And people do complain often in this country about how the American justice system is unfair. And yes, there are many chinks in the armor of the American justice system, but it is still the best system in the world. <laughs> it really is. Um, not that these things don't have, but I think the, the, the biggest point when Amanda said, you know, when you have people that are wrongfully incarcerated, they're wrongfully incarcerated. Like they were convicted yeah. of a crime they didn't commit. They weren't convicted after someone else was convicted for the crime that they were just tried for. It's just crazy. But on the flip side, Tara, as a yeah. fellow survivor, what do you think about when she says how grateful she is? 
that she had her I family. think it's incredible because when you have that gratitude, you go further in life. Uh-huh. You are happier. You are just there for the growth. And that's something where people that are kind of stuck in their trauma and can't move forward, they feel depressed and whatnot. Like I say that because I've been depressed before. I've been the person to not want to get out of bed for like a month. Uh (laughs) And so it really takes gratitude to help pull you out of that situation. And that's why we're able to speak about our traumas today is because we have gratitude and we see how it helps other people move forward. Yeah, I think that's the the biggest thing for me, right? And I think Amanda echoes that too. And and as of course you do as well, is when you're able to use these horrific incidences that you've gone through. I mean, I tell people all the time, they think I'm nuts for saying it, but I'm like, I wouldn't change a thing about my life. I really like the person that I've become. And even though I went through all of these horrific things that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy, at the end of the day, I am grateful and I really generally like the person that I've become and what I've been able to do with my story and the impact that I make, the impact that you're making, the impact that Amanda is clearly making. Yes. It's wonderful. Yeah. And I love myself because of that gratitude. I may not be a perfect person, but at least I have acceptance for that. And I know that every mistake I made, I try to use it to move forward and grow. And that's what it's all about. And look, we definitely didn't ask to be a part of this uh, this no, little club, but uh, yeah. we are all part of the Survivor Squad. On that note, Survivors, I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad podcast. We'll see you guys. Bye. The Survivor Squad podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad.